Hello and welcome to episode 157 of the Redbox Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I'm your host, Bob Fallon. And I'm your co-host, Joel Fallon. And with us this week is a special guest. If you listen to the podcast at all, you've probably heard him on here before. Regular contributor to popoptic.com, Mr. Edgar Chaput. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank you very much, Joel, for the invitation. It's uh, a thrill to be back in the saddle. Always good to have yeah. you. Always oh, excited no. to do an episode with you. Oh, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm, I'm exuberant right now. You have no <laughs> idea, guys. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> um, well, this week we're going to be reviewing two movies. Uh, Spectre, the newest James Bond movie. Is up first, and then followed up with the horror movie from Guillermo del Toro, Crimson Peak, and our top five action movie stunts. Going a little, little off script there in our top five, but I like it. <laughs> but uh, first up, we're going to talk about Spectre, newest James Bond, and that's why we brought Edgar aboard. He is Mr. James Bond himself. <laughs> what level oh, of fan would you say you are? Uh, I would say, uh, I, well, as a fan, I'd give, I'd, I'd uh, very humbly, I'd give myself a good old-fashioned red box report, ten out of ten. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Hey, Joel, you're a pretty big Bond guy yourself, is that correct? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Bond guy, but I always try to see the newest Bond film. Yeah. I'm not a. I don't know all the like old. Bond films, but I know I've seen most of the ones I've been alive for. There you go. That's more than I can say. You're you're a good man, Joel. You're a good man. (laughs) I try, bud. And for me, I'm only Daniel Craig uh, newbie here. I got on a bandwagon with Casino Royale, and I've seen all four of the new new releases, but I haven't seen any of the older ones. Baby steps. So, we got a little bit of everything here. As far as fandom of James Bond. But Spectre is the continuation of the Daniel Craig storyline with the 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a little bit of mixed reviews coming out of uh, its release this fall. Going into it, what were you guys thinking? This was going to be the best one yet? Or or what did you think? Um, Personally, I didn't think it was going to be the best one, but uh, I still expected a pretty solid release. Enjoyable. Uh, I really liked Skyfall and Casino Royale, so I figured I would like this one. Uh, well, as for me, it was it was a bit of an interesting situation. Uh, I won't bore you guys with the history of the whole franchise, but I guess to put it in a, nut, in a nutshell, uh, the franchise goes through its ebb, ebbs and flows, and what the fan base at large, there are exceptions to every rule, obviously, but the rule of thumb seems to be they knock one out of the park and the next one's not as good. So we got Casino Royale, great. Quantum of Solace, well, you know, that happened. <laughs> Skyfall, great. So, you know, logic, uh, the sequential logic dictated that we should have uh, tempered our expectations for Spectre. As a fan, terribly exciting. Uh, excited, excuse me. Great anticipation in my in my heart of hearts, but I did try to temper my expectations a little bit because I'm also a big Skyfall fan. I think it's one of the best in the entire series. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think Skyfall is a little overrated, but I still think it's a really good movie. I think Casino Royale was the perfect movie for me to start off James Bond with because I love that so much. And then Quantum of Solace, not so much. Skyfall I thought was very good, great villain, some great action set pieces, but I didn't quite get the effusive praise for it, but again, I'm not a James Bond fan. But I was looking forward to this. I thought Christoph Waltz was a pretty good fit as a as a villain, and I like what I've seen from Sam Mendes in the past, so I was ready to give it a shot, even with the mixed reviews. But it's the story... Joel, regale us with the details of of the story for Spectre, if you don't mind. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm the guy to get to. <laughs> How about you, Ed? Yes, I saw it in bits and pieces over time. Uh, sure. Well, I, I've seen the movie about a billion times now. In fact, it's playing in the background on my TV right now. <laughs> on, on mute, mind you. But um, Oh, it's the great scene where Bond offers champagne to uh, Monica Bellucci. But this, the plot of Spectre, generally speaking, it opens in Mexico City during a great festival. Uh, what we don't know at that point is someone has sent Bond uh, incognito to, to Mexico to kill a very specific individual and that's uh, who's an assassin, much like Bond. And that specific uh, individual who's killed during the pre-title sequence by Bond himself has a link he's sort of the first link in a long chain which leads James Bond to discover a uh, a terrorist organization that maybe for someone like Bob is new uh, for someone maybe like Joel and myself we've heard the name Spectre before we've heard the names Blofeld before uh, but since this is a reboot it's obviously the first time James Bond faces off against Spectre and their plot Spectre's plot is basically it's very modern. It's about uh, counter-espionage and gathering intelligence to control governments and this and that. And uh, along the way, as Bond uh, uh, delves deeper and deeper into the secrets of Spectre, he comes to discover that he might have a very uh, discomforting bond with uh, this organization's leader. There, and that was very well said. Thank um, you. The reason I had to toss it to somebody else is because I had a pretty hard time following the specifics of the plot here. And that was one of my biggest negatives of the movie was I didn't necessarily care about all the details of the plot as it was going. But overall, I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a, a fun watch. Uh, probably just, a, just under Skyfall for me as far as enjoyment levels. But yeah, I liked it. How about you, Joel? Yeah, um, I gotta agree with you. I had a little bit of a hard of a time, a little bit hard of a time following some of the specifics of the story. But then again, like I said, I saw probably close to the first half in one go the first time I watched it, and then I. I basically, I tried to watch this movie like four different times, not for lack of interest, but just I had a lot going on. But um, I like the story, the look, the action scenes, you know, yeah. the whole Bond thing. It's got this like sexy feel to it, but you know what I mean? Something I know appealing. exactly what you mean. <laughs> mm. 
healthy you know, chest. I don't know. You know, yeah. Bond always gets the girl. Bond always gets the bad guy type thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the movie looked great. Was it shot by Roger Deakins? No. Uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema, who's, uh, I think, predominantly known for Interstellar. Uh, Another I'm not sure what else movie. he shot. But yeah, yeah, no, that still was amazing. If it looked good enough for me to think it was shot by Roger Deakins, that's a pretty good compliment. It looked it looked yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the classic score sounded good. I thought the sound design was was really well done. The opening sequence of the movie, as seems to be the case, is this a theme for all twenty some movies that they start with a great action set piece. Yeah, with the exception of the original film, uh, where they didn't have that template set up. Uh, yeah, pretty much the, the other twenty-three movies do the same. Uh, they play the same game. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, I've heard other podcasts say it was kind of unnecessary to have it all be in one take, but hey, maybe it wasn't completely necessary, but it still looked pretty cool. And I thought it was uh, just a great intro into the into the film. And I love the the theme with all the skeleton masks. The Dio de los Muertos. Mm. It was yeah. uh, oh, good Spanish. <laughs> very good stuff. Hey, I took Spanish uh, in sophomore in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point about uh, that that opening shot. Uh, one, which which I've I've done a bit of research. It's not really one take, but but they sell it well enough. Yeah. Um, you know, does it have any real purpose? No, but you said it yourself. It looks cool, and that's, and I think that's what sort of got lost in in the shuffle, uh, the kerfuffle of all the mixed reviews last last autumn. Uh, was uh, I think we've sort of forgotten to sort of uh, understand that James Bond's really just there to have fun. Uh, sometimes the plots tie into real world geopolitics. That was maybe Spectre, more or less. There's some other older ones I can cite that more directly tie into current at the time current geopolitics, but that's not that's not really the point of James Bond. It's really just there to have fun. It's James Bond's sort of my comic book movie. I mean, Bob, I know you're big on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I like it too. Don't get me wrong, but your your Marvel Cinematic Universe is 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 my James Bond, if you will. I, yeah. It's not supposed to be taken that seriously. So I was a little bit surprised that a lot of the negativity stemmed from the fact that it feels like an old-school Bond movie. Uh, uh, it's actually quite interesting, uh, Bob, that you only know the Daniel Craig films because three of the four Daniel Craig films, uh, Casino Royale, Quantum, and Skyfall, yes, they're Bond films. Yes, a lot of those classic ingredients are there, but they're playing with the rules a bit differently. They're a little bit more character driven they're trying to take themselves a bit more seriously specter well let me put it this way specter is basically your introduction to what james bonds were for the better part of the franchise's history hmm. the plot's a little stupid frankly it's a little hard to follow at times especially if you've only seen it once um you get these weird scenes where Bond will meet a widow and they're screwing that same night. It's like, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, that happens all the time in the old movies. Um, not that it's not that it's necessarily forgives the film for that actions. I'm not the biggest fan of, of that scene, to be perfectly honest with you guys. But um, but a lot of the things that happen in Inspector 
harken back to classic Bond, which is maybe why fans like myself enjoyed the movie quite a bit. It's not perfect. I'm sure we'll I'm sure we all have some reservations. We'll get into those. I have some, believe it or not. <laughs> but for the most part, I do like the movie a lot. But for me, yeah, it's mostly because it it feel it felt like for the first time in a long time, and for the first time in the Daniel Craig era, I was watching a movie that could have been made in the sixties, seventies, or eighties. And as a fan, I like that. But I can also understand uh, you know, the people who fell in love with the Craig films and suddenly they see Spectre and they're like why does this look like a Roger Moore movie? It's well, yeah. If you don't like the Roger Moore ones, yeah, you probably won't like Spectre. I can't really argue with you on that one, you know. Yeah, that actually encourages me to make me want to go watch some of the old movies then, because I definitely didn't have a problem with with this being too goofy. I just thought it was fun, like you said. And while I didn't love it as much as the other ones, maybe they set the bar a little high for this franchise, at least. For the people that aren't lifelong fans, and yeah, that makes me want to see. I guess what are some of the old Bond movies that you would recommend? Oh boy, well, Joel, uh, would you like to suggest uh, some? You've seen some of the old ones, so I'd, I'd actually, I'd love to. I'd be dying to hear some of your suggestions. I mean, like I said, I've only seen most of the ones that were made in the time that I watch movies, but um, Golden Eye is personally my favorite. Oh, that's a great I, one. Um, I really like the Pierce Brosnan movies in general. Um, I can't quite remember. I've seen some of the older ones, but I can't remember exactly which ones I've seen from start to finish. Mm. Uh, at the Sean Connery and who else was Bond? Uh, Roger Moore. Yeah, yeah, Roger. Moore. Timothy Dalton. And yeah, if you've the... only seen them once and it was a while ago, they do tend to bleed into one another. They do get a little confusing if you haven't seen them in a while. Even I'll admit to that. I mean, I, I've seen them a billion times, but your casual Bond fan who's sort of seen, oh, that one ten years ago, like they don't remember what the title is. They don't remember who started it. Like that. That's that's a common problem with the Bond uh, franchise for the casual viewer. But I also like that about the series. Like I like how they stick with one person for a good while and then yeah. just switch actors and I don't know it's sort of like they're in vain of stories but they're still the same character yeah still well, with, all in the same universe except Daniel Craig Daniel Craig is an actual reboot when Casino Royale came yeah, out yeah the 20 previous movies never happened that's basically what it is and uh, George Lazenby just, says hello yeah yeah, absolutely. Oh, he says hello. That's great. <laughs> he just texted uh, me. <laughs> well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even be surprised. I mean, he only did the one movie. That's his claim to fame. So I'm sure. I'm sure if you invite him next week on the Red Box Report, he might even say yes. But uh, I mean, if you want to check some, I mean, very quick. I don't want to hog the spotlight here. But I mean, Goldfinger's classic. Uh, Golden Eye is a classic. Uh, Spy Who Loved Me, very good. I'm a big fan of For Your Eyes, for your eyes Only, and I'll add another one, my personal favorite, uh, From Russia With Love. Cool. Those would be the ones, nice, nice rounded depiction of mostly what Bond has been throughout the decades. From Russia With Love, Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me, uh, For Your Eyes Only, and GoldenEye. Those are, those are five really solid ones. Yeah, I'll at least try to check out one from each actor in the past. 
get a taste, a little yeah. appetizer. But anyway, back to Spectre. Um, I like there was just so many great individual scenes. Is what I liked most about it. I think maybe my favorite scene in the whole movie is the train fight with Dave Bautista's character, oh, Mr. Yeah. Hinks, I believe his name is. Yeah, I um, that's right. He, he's a great character. I love his introduction in the boardroom, where he just snaps that guy's neck. You get mm. a sense of his his uh, menace and his uh, threat level that he he poses right away, and just the epic fight scene on that train, back and forth. The girl Leah Leah Sadu gets involved. It's yep, it's pretty great, pretty great stuff. Yeah, and and Craig hadn't uh, had the pleasure of participating in any of those. Uh, uh, again, that's another classic Bond uh, element. Mr. H- I mean, the, Mr. Hinks is a new character, but there are Mr. Hinkses in the previous films where the guy doesn't speak, he's bigger than Bond, he's stronger than Bond, and when they fa- come face to face, you're like, oh my God, how's, how's James going to get out of this one? Uh, that's a great fight. That's, that's, yeah, it was. It, that fight, it feel, you can feel the pain. I, I was hurting when that fight came to an end. <laughs> no doubt about it. Joel, what were uh, some of your favorite scenes? Um, uh, first off, the opening scene I really liked yeah, in Mexico. But yeah, I liked uh, how this film was really modern. And But like you said, there's Mr. Hinks's in every Bond film. There was a lot of uh, pretty direct nods to the people who like the older films throughout this. Um... How about when he like rode a crashing plane through uh, snow? Was that was pretty good? Yeah, yeah, yeah I like um, that. Uh, it, it was sort of a, it substituted uh, there uh, maybe a handful of movies in which Bond uh, engages in a great ski chase. Actually, in one movie, he even snowboards. Uh, I thought that was a great substitute when the trailers came out, and you know we saw that there would. There would be a sequence taking place in the Austrian, uh, yeah, Austrian Alps. Um, you know, oh, maybe Bond's going to go on skis again. He's going to go on skis again. Well, not really. The actual freaking plane does the skiing, which I thought was a kind of a neat twist on that on that little uh, on that moment. Yeah, and a nice parallel to the other spy movie from last year, uh, Mission Impossible Five, with Tom Cruise hanging out of a plane. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I really like the scene when the building is being blown up. Everyone thinks Bond's gone, done for. And here he comes on a speedboat. Pretty girl on the back. Interesting. You know, uh, I'm... Unharmed. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad to hear you say that, Joel. I don't know. how how, how Are we going to get into a lot of spoilers? Are we going to avoid spoilers? What's the plan here? Um, hmm... I guess we could try to avoid them as long as we can, and then maybe we can do a little skip ahead two minutes, something like that. No problem. So, uh, so Joe, so you like the the uh, the the final act? I guess my question to both of you is, what do you guys think of that final third after after the Morocco sequence? Once the actual Spectre base in Morocco is, is is said and done with. We get another 20, 25 minutes. Like, what do you guys feel about that final act? Personally, for me, it was probably my least favorite part of the movie. 
Mm. But it didn't bring it down too much. I just thought it was... I didn't think it I, led up to... Lived up to what was being led to. I kind of agree with you. I kind of think it was the weaker part, but at the same time, I liked how he actually got to go kind of finish business rather than be kind of just left up in the air. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I, I have to I, I sort of agree with... Uh, with with Bob in the in the sense that uh, I think it also I I think it is the weakest uh, the final third is the weakest uh, it almost feels a little bit old fashioned I remember sitting there in the cinema with my friends the first time I saw the film and that the villain uh, you know kidnaps the Bond girl and does something with her you know hides her somewhere and. and I'm trying to dance around details and yeah. the way that was presented it almost felt like almost felt like an old western, you know, when the bad guy takes the damsel in distress right. and ties her to a railroad. Twirling rail. the mustache. Yeah, so, and I was like, really? Like, this is what we're doing in the final act? Like, I didn't see this coming at all. Um, again, a bit like you guys. It, you know, I don't... Uh, oh, the final act is terrible. I hate this movie. No, but I do think it's, it's, it's the weakest section of the film. And that's actually a common criticism about this movie. It's sort of... It blows its wad like so early that when the time comes to deal with that final half hour, it's just not at the same level. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that it's probably too long. I mean, this is a two and a half yeah. hour long Bond exactly. movie. Yeah. Like, as a Bond fan, you can quote me. I mean, this is a podcast. It's going to go out there. Bond movies don't need to be two and a half hours long. They don't. Absolutely not. Yeah. I did start to feel the length also. Made, that might have contributed to why I didn't enjoy the last, you know, half an hour or so as much because I just could really tell the sense that this thing has been going on a while. And they really tried to MCU it up, trying to tie everything together. Just not yes, my favorite. Do. Yeah, that's. That's been, uh, I've had some conversations with fans about that one. That is, we as a fan base are very mixed on that. I think we've really come to a conclusion as what we think about that. Yeah, I thought that James Bond was supposed to be standalone. And, like, they obviously, I don't know, it's almost like an hour-long show on television where, a procedural where it's just a different case of of the week, you know. Uh, usually, although although in the first Connery films, Spectre is the villain for about four or five of them. But oh, okay. yeah, so I guess that's sort of the game they're playing at. But the thing is, Spectre is introduced in the original film. So right off the bat, we hear about this organization, and you know they're, they're they stick around for another three or four movies. Whereas this time, because of a uh, fantastically long. Uh, ordeal and, and uh, in legalities, the producers sim- simply couldn't use Spectre. They weren't allowed to. They didn't have the rights to Spectre. Yeah. And when they got the rights, well, they already done three movies. So I think at the time they probably thought, "Hey, this is a great idea. We can use Spectre. How about we tie all of Daniel Craig's into that?" Uh, Qu- Qu- Quantum of Solace. I don't know if you guys remember. I don't know how many times you've seen Quantum of Solace. But once the and bad only guys, once. right? Well, I can't really blame you. <laughs> uh, the bad guys in there are called Quantum. Uh, maybe a little refresher. 
Quantum was supposed to be the new Spectre because they didn't have the rights to Spectre. Hmm. Uh, so, which is what kind of makes... Uh, I remember this now. Yeah, which, which was kind of what makes Spectre the film so funky in the sense that, you know, they start re- referencing Le Chiffre and Dominic Green, who is the the, the, the head honcho of Spectre... Uh, oops, no. See, but I can't get it straight. <laughs> the head honcho of Quantum in Quantum of Solace. They reference Silva, who I'm sure you guys remember was in Skyfall, yeah. and they tie it in, but... That's it, it's it's uh, it's all retroactive, if you can if you see what I mean, uh, which makes it kind of odd. I don't have a problem with it because I know where Spectre comes from and how powerful and ominous they are. I don't have a problem with that, but I know a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The vibe I got from the movie though is even though they tied it all together, I felt like it was just for that movie, just for that character that they. You know, like they retroactively decided to do that. Yeah. And I think another another bit of confusion... Actually, you know what? I won't even explain it. I'd like to know your guys' opinion. The villain... Uh, more, more dancing around details here. The villain of this movie, Spectre, uh, conf- seems to confide that he's made this organization... Because of this potential link he has with James Bond, what did you guys get out of that, Joe? Um, I didn't completely understand it. To be <laughs> honest with you, <laughs> I thought it was pretty yeah. weak. I mean, with I'm trying to avoid the spoilers, but it didn't really work for me all that well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love Christoph Waltz. Obviously, I think everybody does. I think he was a little bit wasted in the role. I, I loved his introduction scene in the boardroom. Thought that was really, really cool. But I just, I just wish he was in it more and more involved, and maybe not as what it is in the end. Yeah. Well, the character he portrays. Um, huh. Yeah. This is tough. With right. uh... I'm calling it. <laughs> Spoilers <laughs> okay. for the rest of this review. Uh, Blofeld uh, doesn't have much screen time in the previous films. There, there are a couple where he shows up pretty regularly, but he's not uh, hes not a major figure in some of the movies. So I think that's why they hold him back a little bit in this one. Um, I don't think Christoph Waltz was wasted necessarily. I think we're so accustomed to seeing Christoph Waltz in these Tarantino flicks where he's playing... Uh, Media roles. And yeah, Han, Han, uh, Hans Lander, I think it was, yeah. and Dr. King Schultz <laughs> and his horse Fritz. Uh, and he's so flamboyant, he's so florid, he's so charming whether he's a good guy like in bastards or or a good guy sort of a good guy in in uh, Django Unchained that when we see him in this role where he's a little bit more reserved it does maybe feel like he's being wasted i still think there's some interesting subtleties in the performance but that might be the fact that i've seen the movie a lot so i'm sort of suddenly reading stuff into the performance i like him i don't really mind that we don't see him too much and since we're in spoiler territory, he doesn't die. So it right. uh, leads us to believe that this is not the last we've seen of Christoph Waltz. And, uh, and I can tell you now, Blofeld is a character in several Bond films. 
Yeah, I'm okay with that, him not dying, because, I don't know, I'd like to see him again. I think there's potential there. They can maybe... You know what would be really funny? And, and uh, Joel, you might be aware of this. Uh, the uh, same act, uh, the Blofeld was never played by the same actor in the old movies. Wouldn't it be kind of awesome if they just didn't recast Christoph Waltz and got, like, Liam Neeson or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> no explanation, just, nope, we didn't hire Christoph Waltz. Here's Ben, here's ben Kingsley as Blofeld. That'd be awesome. Hey, Liam Neeson needs that role. Why not, man? He's a good. He is a good actor. We he can be. So many. We just of these... had this conversation not that long. Ago. Yeah, last week. <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys talked about Run All Night. Yeah, yeah, I watched that. I haven't. I haven't seen that. It's not terrible, like I said. But yeah, that guy needs to get out of that hole. What do you guys think about Daniel Craig as Bond in this movie and in general? I like him. I mean, what, I have no one to compare him to. What am I talking about? Of course I like him. But yeah. um, I like him. I think he did what they wanted him to do, is kind of modernize Bond. But I feel like he's playing Bruce Wayne and Batman combined with blonde hair. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting comparison. Uh, would you like to see him come back? Because that's the, that's the question everybody's lips now. Uh, at least in the fan base, will he or won't he do the next one? Uh, do you guys want another Daniel Craig Bond, or do you think it might be time, you know, fresh face, he's done for, he's not a spring chicken anymore, uh, we've sort of gone back to the classic Bond, let's change actors. Like, well, what would you guys like to see? I'm okay either way, honestly. I, If he decides to come back for one more, I think he does a good job. I'm fine with that. The movies are fun at the very minimum when he's in them. But at the same time, if they want to recast it and try for a little different angle, I think that would be fun to see as well. I would love to see him again if he actually wants to do it. Yeah, it seems like he doesn't want to, right? Yeah, a contract fulfillment type movie. I don't really want to see that. Uh, yeah, well, no, yeah, there's been some weird stuff uh, coming out in the media interview, although I, I suspect some of those things have been misinterpreted. Uh, these are huge endeavors. I mean, I, I followed the production of Spectre a little bit. It took like six or seven months to shoot. I mean, that's hey, insane. That is a long time. Yeah. Uh, so he was probably a little bit uh, bushed uh, after that, after that uh, production. I, as for myself... I'd love to see him do at least one more. Some people are asking for two. Like I might be pushing it. One would be great. But interestingly enough, I think uh, as as the months have gone on and Spectre sort of, you know, it's it's now just another Bond. It's no longer the new one. Funnily enough, uh, my sort of philosophy mirrors uh, yours, uh, uh, Bob. I'd love him to do it. But if they change, I'm like, you know what? We've had Craig for about a decade. He's done four. They're great. Okay. I, I, it's all right if they change. Yeah, and if it is not him, who are we looking at? Who uh, who fits the bill? Obviously, Idris Elba is the long... He's always, His name always yeah. comes up, which I think would be cool. You said Tom Hiddleston is rumored? Yeah, because of... Uh, I haven't watched it, but he's doing a television show. Uh, I, that title escapes me, sadly. Yeah, AMC... Nightmare. Night Watcher? It's like a 
Like a miniseries, right? Six episodes or something? Yeah, Night Night Manager, Night Watcher, Night something like that. A John Lacare novel? Yeah, 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 yeah. I almost said Nightcrawler, but that's the, the Jake Gyllenhaal thing. Yeah, um, yeah and, well, I mean, I, I, he, Tom Hiddleston is a, is a great actor. and But apparently his portrayal of this character in the John Lacare series is very 007-esque. And I think that's what got a lot of people's attention. I love the guy, man. If if that happened, pff, fine by me, man. Do it. Uh, Idris Elba, great actor. He's a little old, I find. I think he's approaching his fifties. Like, do you want to hire a Bond when right. he's almost fifty? Like, that's the problem. Is there I any other? Is see. there a young black actor that could fill that role, like Michael B. Jordan? You, or? you want to know something? Uh, last autumn. Uh, a new uh, continuation novel uh, was released. They actually it doesn't get in the spotlight because nobody reads books anymore. But right. It was a new Bond novel, and as we know, you know, audiobooks uh, are made uh, simultaneously. And um, David uh, Oyelowo, or wait, is it David uh, Oyelowo or Oyelowo? Something like right. That. Yeah, sure. He 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 read it, and and he was damn good. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I, I mean, he's British. he's British, he can talk like Bond. I, I, don't, I didn't buy the audiobook, but I got to listen to some clips. He was great. How about uh, David Oyelowo as Martin Luther King as James Bond? Yeah, I still haven't seen that movie, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, keep the stash. <laughs> right, you, know, yeah. you got a James Bond. Keep the stash and we're good to go. Joel, <laughs> you got any ideas? How about Tom Hardy? Who, who, do, you, who do you think would be good? I don't know. I I kind of like when these franchises kind of take someone that isn't super well popular. known, yeah, but has the talent. But yeah, I don't know, the, which is what the Bond franchise has has done. Pre- predominant, nobody knew who Sean Connery was. Certainly, nobody knew who the hell George Lazenby was. <laughs> they still uh, don't. Yeah, they still don't. That's a good point. Uh, Roger Moore had done a lot of TV. Timothy Dalton, nobody knew who that was, except for maybe Flash Gordon and weird stuff like that. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, a lot of TV and some movies, the classic Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, not Mrs. Doubtfire. Was that the movie? What's yeah, the other he movie? was in that. He was in that. Yeah, right. And Daniel Craig, eh, mostly British films, so, mm, so-so. So, yeah, no, they do tend to do that a lot with the Bonds. I do, uh, you know who I would like to see as a villain eventually? Like down the road, let's hear it. Cumberbatch. Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Interesting. When he gets a little bit older, he's kind of yeah. got that menacing look. That you know, who intelligence. I've heard, uh, the uh, some fans are asking for Tilda Swinton as a Bond villain. No, that would be cool. That would be fucked up, man. That would be <laughs> awesome. That would be good. <laughs> I, I could see that. What about director? Is, do you like Sam Mendes, what he's doing? I like him as a director. I think he's pretty good, but do they want to get someone else in there? I think they will. They they sort of had to, uh, I'm trying to avoid crass language, they had to massage him in coming <laughs> back for, uh, for Spectre. Because he originally said no. He said, I told the story I want to tell in Skyfall. Uh, billion dollars box office. Everybody on the face of the freaking planet loved it. You know, how do you top that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they really had to 
seduce him into coming back for Spectre. So they're, they're going to go with somebody else anyways. You can kind of feel who, that, though. You can kind of feel like it's... I let down a little bit, level. trying to live up. Yeah, and which is, makes it ironic that the third act seems to lose steam. It's almost... Uh, you know, Skyfall's great, they bring back Sam Mendes, Spectre starts off great, and it sort of peters out as it goes along, maybe a lot like Sam Mendes. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of maybe mirrored his feelings. Honestly, I, uh, I, like the, I, I like the fact that they're trying to go for some interesting directors. Those, some of those Brosnans are directed by journeymen. I, they're, I love Brosnan as Bond. I think he did a great great job but i think directing wise it's a little bit yeah whatever i kind of yeah. like the fact that they're going for you know your mark forsters even though that maybe didn't turn out great but your mark forsters your sam mendes's you know people who have a bit more of a particular vision who that might be i i don't know is there anybody you guys want to see what i don't think it would ever happen but what about christopher nolan Oh, man, that's a rumor. That's been going on for a while. I mean, he just uh, seems to have that style where he's good at making those their set pieces as centerpiece he, to movies. And Yeah, he he has gotten a lot better with his action over the years. I'm a huge Batman Begins fan. I really, really am. But it's hard to tell what's going on in that movie when Batman fights and punches stuff. Dark Knight, better. Dark Knight Rises, even better. Inception is great. I can see that. Uh, I can see how that might work. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, we shouldn't be like Bond and ignore the women in the movie, right? So, what Absolutely do you th- not. what do you think of Leia Seydoux as the main love interest? Fresh off blue is the warmest color. I didn't really know who she was. Um, I guess she hasn't been in a ton of. American movie. She was in, I think, Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol, yeah. for a minor bit. But she's amazing. Yeah, she uh, gets out of the color. building in there. Um, I don't know. I thought a lot of the scenes with her were kind of cheesy, but I didn't think that was her fault. Just like, uh, what, they threw the guy off the building or something like that, and then next thing you know, they're kissing and She's literally like, now I'm getting scenes mixed up. But anyway, she says, uh, now what do we do? Yeah, right. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of like cool, like Bond type thing. But at uh, the same time, it was like, geez. She tried to play yeah, well, hard think... to get. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Leia Sidhu as an actress. Uh, I like her here as well. Um She's. I like the fact that she's strong-willed. She. I mean, frankly, I mean, she tells Bond to. She literally says, "Go to hell," uh, early on in the in their relationship. So I like that it started uh, with the some. There's a lot of tension between the two at the start. Um, she's a great actress. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a big, big fan. I like the fact that they they hired her. I think her character is good. Um, it's no Vesper Lind. By play, who was uh, played by Eva Green. I think they're trying to make her another Vesper Lynn. That's why they may or may not be falling in love in this movie. I didn't fully buy it, but I would in no shape or form when I put the blame on uh, on Leia Sidhu. I think she does what she's being asked to do 
maybe what she's being asked to do is a bit hard to sell at times, but she's good in the role. Yeah, I would agree with pretty much everything you guys said. And they really shouldn't have killed off Eva Green. I mean, come on. What are you doing? Well, spoiler, that's in the book. Okay. But Monica Bellucci is in the movie for a brief appearance, which is I thought was a really weird scene as the widow of someone James Bond kills, I think. Yeah. yeah, And then he beds her before she gets killed. Uh, no, I, I, well, actually, that's they. They, I think they, their apology for the weird scene where they make love is uh, they don't kill her because no. very often the the first Bond girl you meet in the movie is usually the one that will die. Uh, so I think they wanted their, their they wanted their cake and to eat it too. So we have a five minute Bond girl played by one of you know the most beautiful women on the face of the planet. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a bit of an easy bed scene, but okay, let's not kill her. That might be pushing things a little bit too far. So I think that's how they sort of played the game there. I like Bellucci. I think she's okay in the movie, but she's not in it very much. It's sort of hard to grade her, to be yeah. honest. I find she's of fine. But... Weird they casted such a big name for such a small part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Like a lot of other people, I thought she was going to be in the movie a lot longer than she is. I just assume she died. I feel bad now. No, it's fine. I mean, uh, you obviously are very much in tune with the old Bond movies, even though you haven't seen them, because they usually do die. And how about the supporting team, M, Q, Moneypenny? They weren't a huge focal point in this movie. Um, I liked the new Q, actually. Like, I didn't think I would when they introduced him. It seems was like a, something out of a CW show. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> like a, a, a CSI person. Right, the yeah. person. Um, Money Penny, I always thought they were going to use her a lot more. Yeah, that would... For the fact they introduced her, but... I don't know. Yeah, they're oh. just a... They're in the movie, but they're not that too important. Yeah. Actually, in comparison to the older films... Uh, the roles that M and, and Q and, and Money Bunny have played in the last two movies, at least, has actually been greatly expanded if we compare to the older movies. If you start watching those older movies, Bob, Money Penny's in it for two minutes. <laughs> She's sitting at the desk in front of M's office. You know, he's waiting for you, James. James sits on her desk, whispers something sexy in her ear. A little tit for tat, and he goes into M's office, and that's it. We don't see Money Penny anymore. So we're actually seeing a lot of Money Penny. Uh, well, there recently. you go. Yeah. I'm a big Naomi Harris fan. I've always liked her a lot. I've actually, I actually have seen a couple of her other movies. I think she's a very good actress. I love her as Money Penny. Uh, I'm with you, Joel. I think this is a great cue. And uh, you know, God bless Judy Dench. I think she was a great, great M. Uh, but a great replacement in, in Ray Fiennes. I mean, a, a great craggy, crusty, grumpy M, uh, like in the classic films. Uh, I, I, as a fan, I can't complain with any of those three casting choices. Yeah, well, agreed. So what would you give it out of ten? Uh, I'd give it a seven and a half. All right. Not um, bad. I think, 
the fan in me saying an eight, uh, the pop optic film critic uh, is saying seven. So I guess seven and a half. There you go. I'm pretty close to that. I think this is the movie that every Fast and the Furious movie aspires to be. It's fun <laughs> without being over the top. It's well made. I give it a solid 7 out of 10. I, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. So, there were some pretty good action stunts, Inspector. But will any of them make our top 5 action movie stunts of all time? Let's find out. Joel, what was your number 5 action movie stunt? And what are you, what are you looking for when it comes to this category? Um, I tried to put a little bit of everything in this category. And I don't know. I really couldn't put it down to the particular stunts, so it kind of picked action scenes that I liked the most. But um, I just started off with actually TV. I like the battle scenes in general in Game of Thrones, but Hard Home, how it's choreographed. It's not per se a stunt, but how it almost all seems like it's one take, even though it isn't. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's a great scene. Edgar, how about you? Um, what, I guess what I'm going for, there's no, James Bond doesn't appear in this top five. That'd be too easy. That'd be a top 35. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, a lot of my stuff is relatively modern. Uh, I, You know, I think fair is fair. In modern filmmaking, a really, really, really well done stunt is sort of de facto going to look cooler and be more impressive than an older stunt. Uh, and a lot of my stuff is vehicular for some reason. I just noticed that now. Um, my number five comes from The Bourne Supremacy. Uh, very late in that film, there's a, a car chase in Moscow. Oh, wait. Yes, yeah, Moscow or St. Petersburg? No, it's Moscow. And um, it's a great chase, and it ends in a tunnel... And it ends in the most screwed up way possible. Like, Bourne, like, knocks the guy he's chasing in the other car, and he sort of scoops up the car, and it goes on a rail and hits a wall. <laughs> and that's how that chase ends. Uh, it's a weird way to end a chase. It's so unexpected, and, and, and it's a great chase, and it's a great way to end it, and it's, it's uh, very, well, impactful, no pun intended. Uh, so that so that's my number five that that weirdo end of the car chase in Moscow. Nice. Yeah, I'm. I have a lot of recent movies as well, for the most part. But my number five is the hallway fight in Inception. The way oh, with yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I think. Oh shit! It's like the gravity is less or something where the room is just rotating constantly, and he's trying to he has to. Uh, fight some guy while trying to move a, I think it's a body into another room and just really well choreographed and very well done by Mr. Christopher Nolan who we just oh, talked yeah. about not too long ago yeah. it's exquisite that scene is exquisite yeah, absolutely um, number four is my only one that's not from a recent movie and probably mostly on here because I love the series it's Indiana Jones in particular the Temple of Doom, where he dives from the raging 
ball boulder that's chasing him. Yeah, I, I thought about an that. Iconic scene. No doubt about it. That was pretty much an honorable mention for me. Is it, Wait a minute, that's... Is that Temple of Doom, actually? Oh, I think that's the first one. I think that's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders I haven't Lost watched them in a while, yeah. but... Whatever well, movie cool. it's from, it was pretty cool. <laughs> one of the it's been a while films. since I've seen them myself, actually. I've only really seen them once. Just now. <laughs> uh, but it's a great scene, though. It's a good pick. Though. Yeah, for sure. What's your number four, Ed? Uh, my number four, uh, again, it was fairly modern, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, the walk along the Burj Khalifa in, uh, in Dubai, uh, when he's, he has those, like, sticky gloves, and he's walking outside the, uh, well, the Burj Khalifa, uh, trying to get to an upper floor, because they can't, they, they're trying to access some sort of a computer room, but they can't go it through ordinary channels, because it's obviously, it's incredibly protected, so they have to go from the outside, and the uh, Benji, I think, is the tech guy. Benji gives him these sort of electronic sticky gloves. So Tom Cruise starts walking on the side of a building. Um, I think one of the gloves even like fails him at one point. Yeah. So he's hanging one glove. Man, when I saw that in IMAX, I think I puked. Great. <laughs> yeah, it's always a good sign. But uh, yeah, that is a great scene, no doubt about it. it might show up later on in my list. But my number four, I did go with the Bond scene. It's the opening to Casino Royale with the parkour action beat. Oh, yeah. This oh, was the first Bond movie I ever saw. First opening scene. And, and I'm like, what have I been missing my entire life? It was <laughs> sensational. Just really got me amped for the rest of the movie. And I, I love a movie that opens with something like that just to, to really get you invested. Yeah, that is uh, that's a classic. That uh, that pushes all the right buttons uh, for a Bond movie. Yeah, no doubt. Absolute classic. Um, my number three is also not in Mad Max, the newer one. Uh, the guys on the poles. Yeah. On the sides <laughs> of the, that's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, me either. Yeah, I didn't even it's, think of that. They're kind of throughout the whole movie, so you, I, I can't pick a particular scene, but how oh, crazy but it's a is great, that? It's a great stunt, though. Yeah, just everything they're doing with all that stuff. Yeah, that had to be hard to pull off, because I don't think they used much special effects as far as what they I remember didn't. reading. I checked, some of the, I checked some of the featurettes on that Blu-ray, with respect to that specifically, there's not a lot of special effects going on there, man. That's a lot of real stuff. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but, yeah. Your number three? Uh, my number three, uh, it, 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 it's a bit of a, a cheat. It's more of a scene than a, than a stunt. Oh, there's, a, there's a lot of stunts in this scene. It's uh, from a movie called The Protector, uh, starring Tony Ja. I don't know if do you guys know maybe the Ong Bak movie. Love it. Or yeah, there you go. So The Protector. Uh, I don't even remember what the freaking plot of this movie is. Doesn't matter. Point, <laughs> no, who cares? Uh, at one point, the Tony Ja character has to uh, fight his way through a, a Tom Yum uh, restaurant, and he goes up several stories. And speaking of one takes, it's it's in one take, and he's just beating the shit 
out of a bunch of people as he's running up the steps of these uh, of this very elaborate restaurant. He's he's throwing people over the rails, and the camera peers down to to see them fall down and break a. Uh, fall on a table, and the table breaks. He's going into little rooms, and we hear, pur, 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 and the other guys get gets tossed through the wall. And Tony Jaw appears again. It just goes on and on and on for about four or five minutes as he reaches the top level of this of this restaurant. So that's my number three from The Protector. Yeah, I wish I would have thought of that because that's one of my favorite martial arts movies of all time. Tony Jaw's the man. I recommended yeah. Ong Bak to Casey on the film club a couple of years ago, and he hated it. Oh, did you? I don't remember that. Oh, he hated it? He hated oh, it. I was like, damn. Oh, oh, shit. He's Mr. Stuntman himself, Tony Jaa. He's like the new oh, Jackie Chan. Kind of, yeah. But my number three, going back to Christopher Nolan, it's the opening to The Dark Knight Rises when Bane hijacks a plane and kidnaps the guy. Ooh. Just... Again, got me. I thought this was going to beat The Dark Knight as far as, as far as quality, and it didn't quite live up to those expectations. But it got off on the right foot for sure. Yeah, that, that was a pretty insane scene, actually. Yeah, it reminded me kind of, of something that would be movie. in a James Bond movie. Uh, actually, maybe uh, you, sh- you should check out the pre-title sequence to uh, License to Kill. Uh, I think that's where Christopher Nolan was inspired to do, uh, and believe me, they pulled off marvelously in The Dark Knight Rises. That's an amazing sequence. I'm pretty sure he was watching License to Kill and said, huh, let's do that a little bit better. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. All right. Uh, My number two is, I believe it's been a while since I've seen these movies. I think it's from The Matrix 2. The, um, the whole scene on the highway. Oh, yeah. Never seen any of the Matrix sequels? I really like the first Matrix, and I'm not so big on the two and three, but the scene was pretty crazy. It's right up there with the original Matrix scene when he walks through the metal detectors. But I think action-wise, this has a little bit more going on. Yeah, that is Jumping from scene. car to car, fighting on top of tractor trailers, stuff crashing. It was pretty cool for the time, at least. Looking back, it might be a little dated. but It's probably the best thing in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. I do remember the second one being my least favorite overall. But But Monica Hmm. Bellucci's in them. That's true. That's true. Speaking of, yeah, we got a bunch of (laughs) tie-ins. Yeah. What's your number two, Uh, my number two is, uh, we're actually going a little bit further back in time. It's from uh, Jurassic Park, but funnily enough, it's not a scene with a dinosaur. It's just, it's after the T-Rex attack and uh, Sam Neill and the two kids. Who's Sam Neill playing? Dr. Grant, I think? Yes, Dr. Grant. Dr. Grant and the two kids, they're trying to, they're at the top of a very extraordinarily large tree, as is their jeep. And as they start climbing down branch from branch, the Jeep, because of its its weight, is breaking the branches. So they have to race down to the bottom of the tree before the Jeep catches up and squishes them. And that, I, th- I thought that was such a clever scene. We have dinosaurs to the left and to the right, 
And here's Steven Spielberg going, you know what? I think we can fit one more scene. <laughs> it doesn't even have to do with dinosaurs. Every time, I must have seen, I'm sure I've seen Jurassic Park, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Every time I watch the movie, that's the scene that gets me the most stressed out. It's a great movie. I, I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. I think it's fantastic. But that's the scene that stresses me out the most. I, it's unbelievable. It's, it's just so clever. In a movie replete with dinosaurs, that's the scene that gets to me. Yeah, it's great. It really sets the tone that you're never safe, no matter what, even if you just escape from a dinosaur. Yeah. Keeps them on edge. Love that movie. Yeah, my number two is a movie from a movie I have never seen from a long time ago, but I kept seeing it pop up when I was just researching this list, and I watched a clip, and it was pretty crazy. It's uh, the house fall from Steam Steamboat Bill Jr. It's a oh, uh, yeah. the Buster Keaton movie, silent film, and I'm sure I've seen it before. It just looks so familiar, and he's just standing there, a house. From what I read, it was an actual. <laughs> wall of a building just falls straight over and he goes right through the window to remain unharmed just yeah that's insane. crazy for the time that's in, that's insane very cool all yeah. right my number one a little bit of a cheat but um because it's a scene but the whole opening scene is saving private ryan when they're storming Ooh. the beach um the special and practical effects at the time were amazing, and seeing people like get dismembered and actually going through that chaos—it's just so iconic to me. Um, the rest of the movie is actually a bit dated when you go back and watch, but that opening scene is just incredible. How much stuff is going on? Yeah, if we did our top five opening scenes, that might. Crack the list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the moment there's a moment in that opening sequence that'll haunt me till my grave. It's it's almost blinking, you miss it. It's it's a, actually a background character. It's not even the foreground character. They're they're sort of lodged against the uh, you know the 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 the, the, the sand that uh, they're sort of protected from from fire, except for one soldier who a bullet ricochets off his helmet. He removes his helmet to sort of look at it. And then he gets shot in the head. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. That, I've never forgotten that. It's, yeah, it sears itself in your memory. That's for sure. So what is the best action movie stunt of all time, in your opinion? Well, the, the, way, not, the way you put it now, I, I'm not sure if they should be. <laughs> but uh, the number one on my list, we're going back to a little bit more recent and uh, I'm going to The Dark Knight. Christo a lot of Christopher Nolan has shown up a lot uh, for a guy who wasn't known for his action not so long ago. Right. Uh, the Dark Knight, and uh, there's a lot of great action in that movie, but the one, the singular action moment that gets to me, and I think got to a lot of people, is the truck flip. Uh, yep. That's just complete, that is, pardon my language, that's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. To lift that truck and the way they did it. That truck is huge. Exactly. You can't just lift that thing. Uh, that's a great scene. Honorable mention for me. That that was awesome. And that whole scene leading up to that point is really good as well. Yeah. Just this uh, episode's turned into a pitch for Christopher Nolan to be the next yeah. pop actor. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I think we've settled the matter now. <laughs> well, 
My number one has already been mentioned. It's the Burj Khalifa climb from uh, Mission Impossible mm-hmm. Ghost Protocol. Like you said, just seeing that in theaters in IMAX, man, it was enough to make you dizzy to just see how high up and when the glove oh. fails him and he swings in, it's oh. incredible. May, that was maybe one of uh, the best scenes of that year. It really got your heart pumping. That's for Something. sure. No doubt about it. All right. Well, let's turn our attention to the other movie of the night. It's Guillermo del Tormo's Crimson Peak, starring Mia Wasikowska, Tom Hiddleston, and Jessica Chastain. Going in, 70% Rotten Tomatoes. Really, I feel like this movie just came and went with not much buzz around it. It was a movie I was looking forward to. I like Del Toro, like the actors. I was just surprised how little I heard about it, but I was looking forward to checking it out. How about you, Joel? Um, I hadn't heard too much, except uh, I saw an interview with like Tom Hiddleston, and somebody was complimenting on how cool the movie was. Other than that, I didn't hear amazing things about it, or at least hype-wise. Maybe I was had the impression that people weren't saying amazing things about it. But, I mean, I just looked at it like, oh, it's a horror movie. I hate horror movies. I'm probably <laughs> not going to like this movie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Edgar, what were you hearing before you ended up seeing this? Uh... Well, I think uh, like a lot of people, I, I'm a great admirer of Del Toro's work. Uh, the trailers didn't do a whole lot for me, I have to admit. And uh, I guess I'm I'm sort of part of the problem as to why it came and went. I didn't even see it in theaters. Uh, I just didn't hear very good stuff about it. Uh, but, you know, I've seen a couple of Del Toro's more uh, horror, uh, horror-esque Stuff like Chronos uh, and uh, what was that one he made in the '90s with the huge bugs? Uh, I can't remember what it was called. But, yeah, I can't uh, forget. Yeah, what the heck was that? Anyways, uh, and I'm a huge Chronos fan, less so the other one with the big bugs. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I can't really explain it. I guess I was sort of like a lot of people. I just didn't go see it because. The first people who saw it said it wasn't that good. <laughs> so there. Yeah. And what did you end up thinking about it? I, I think I know based on your reaction on Letterboxd and Facebook, but tell the people. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, I'll gladly tell the people. I, I fell in love with this with this film. I, I truly, truly have. Uh, I mean, it doesn't hurt that, you know, Mia Vashakowska is the star. I've always been a big fan of her, and she's a, she's a bit of a peach. But... Uh, the movie as a whole is fantastic. I and looking, I've seen it twice now. I actually rewatched it in parts last night and tonight to gear up for the show tonight. And I can't say I'm the least bit surprised that it didn't make a lot of money theatrically and wasn't that well received. It feels this is so and it's so Del Toro. It feels like a movie that's uh, that's lost in time. It's not a movie anybody makes in 2015 or 2016 it's a, everybody's calling it a gothic romance so it's a romance story but with a very 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 dark twist not so much that it's a pure horror film it's a romance film but a gothic 
for gothic romance, and nobody makes that anymore. Uh, that's almost like, um, uh, what was that? Uh, Hammer Films, that British studio that just churned out film after film in like the 60s and 70s, like the Draculas and the Mummies. They made a lot of this stuff too, but nobody makes that anymore. So I think when people went to see it, I guess they were kind of expecting more of a straight-up ghost story, a straight-up horror story, but that's not what it is. It has more has more emotionality to it. It's a bit more um, sincere. It wears its emotions on its sleeve, unabashedly so, and I think people weren't expecting that. Maybe that's why it wasn't so well-received. I actually love the movie for it. I love the fact that it's so sentimental and it's so romantic. Uh, it looks great. Tom Hiddleston's he's my boy. Jessica Chastain and, and Mia Vashikovska are my angels. <laughs> uh, I, I really like this movie a lot. What about you guys? Joel, do you hate this horror movie? Like, you hate all horror movies. No, I love this movie because it wasn't wow. just a horror movie. It actually had some substance and I really like how he establishes things like right away, like like right in the beginning he establishes that ghosts are real and they're around and whatever. It doesn't like play a lot of horror movies these days don't they try to do the thing where maybe the ghost doesn't exist or whatever, but then they show a horrible CGI of whatever they made towards the end that really ruins a movie for me. I like how they established in the beginning that there are going to be ghosts in this. But then it just kind of leaves that aside. And there's the rest of the movie. The ghosts are just kind of a twist throughout. Like like you said, it's a romance movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the dated feel of it. The uh, the whole gothic the period romance piece. thing. Yeah. Like, I liked everything about it. I, I liked all how all the scenes were worked. I liked the time period. I liked the look of everything. The uh, the different acts. I like how they transition to each other. I I was really surprised how much I liked this film. That's good to hear. I liked nice. it quite a bit as well. I thought it looked amazing. Uh, the sets, the costumes, the cinematography sounded great. There's a really good score underneath everything. The sound design. Well made, um, like you said, the period piece is great. And as a horror movie, yeah, it's not necessarily a horror movie, but I actually was legitimately creeped out, especially early on when she first started seeing the ghost. I thought that was pretty well done, even for as little of a part as it ends up playing. Overall, um, great acting, of course. Jessica Chastain is one of my favorite actresses. She's amazing. Mia Wasikowska is made for these period piece type movies. She was yeah. so good in Jane Eyre and again here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit as well. Had a couple issues, but we can get to that in a little bit. Um, what did you think of the of the plot as far as Mia? I forget her character name. Uh, oh, Edith something. Edith, Edith Cushing. Right. Yeah, she's in a bit of a a, tri- a love triangle with Charlie Hunnam as Dr. Alan McMichael and Tom Hiddleston as Mr. Thomas Sharp. Uh, 
What'd you think of that whole angle? Uh, um, anybody? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked. I didn't completely understand how Charlie Hunnam was kind of, or Doctor Alan McMichael. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Kind of stood aside as much as he did, but maybe that was just something that wasn't totally conveyed. That it was part of the time. I guess guys weren't as quite as pursuing. Yeah, manner like (laughs) wouldn't have fit with the wouldn't didn't fit with the mores of the time. I think it was it was a different time. Uh, People uh, seduced one another a little differently. I think back then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'd say. There's, um, much more, there's much more formality to the whole affair. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, seems like Tom Hiddleston's character has the advantage of being the sophisticated Englishman. You know what I mean? Like, something, yeah. uh. Something mysterious know. about him. But that's sort of the fun part, I find. It's, it's interesting that you would. I, I guess, you know. And, it's not really a gripe I have with the movie or anything. I just, uh. I think it's true that there's maybe something a little bit foreign about him being a British man. And and we do tend to, you know, I mean, you guys are are American, I'm Canadian, but, you know, there there aren't like a, there aren't a billion differences between our two countries. And I think when the both of us sort of hear, you know, someone from Britain speak, we're like, oh, that accent, it's so sophisticated. I think there is a little bit of that at play. In that regard, I think you're actually right, Joel. But at the same time, what I find so clever about this script is that well, he's not that sof- well. Certainly, as the movie goes along, we find out you know where he and his his sibling come from. He's not sophisticated yeah. at all. But even at the start, he's sort of he's trying to make his way through the world. He's already failed a couple of times at amassing some funds for this big machine that's supposed to extract the, the clay from the soil and and this and that. So he's actually not really that sophisticated but there is a little bit of that angle which maybe is how he manages to um to seduce edith and, and of course the waltz scene didn't yeah. hurt either you know uh, that's a cool scene too where they hold the candle that's yeah, awesome that was good. That was yeah well that's good. what i mean he he did a good job of playing the room at the time like when he was at a place where he wasn't known i guess um but i of course without too much spoilers they dig a little deeper into them and you know yeah. uh, you don't really find out until later in the movie but it's implied that he's not mm. really what he says he no. is no. But, the, but the movie does a good job at preserving a bit of a level of nuance we do, what we learn about him is, is skin crawling really, it's terrifying but uh, he has actually fallen in love with Edith, he's willing to forsake his ways for her, which creates you know a conflict because there's his there's his sister uh, involved as well. I think the movie plays those cards very well. The fact that, yeah, this guy, you know, written black on white. You read what he's done. I mean, this guy's uh, an a hole, grade A a hole. But he, because he's found Edith and and she's in his life now, he's actually willing to change that, which makes things. As opposed to simplifying things, it actually complicates them even further. I think the movie plays that really nicely. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what kind of kept me wanting to watch more and more was to learn more and more about these characters. And I like the nuanced approach. Yeah, and I like that it was... Because, and 
I'm uh, sorry. No, it's okay. And go ahead. I did like how uh, the whole time I did have a feeling that he did actually love her, and the whole time I did have a feeling that these were kind of evil people at the same time. Yeah. And I don't think that's something you can get by just spoon feeding. Yeah, I liked that, especially when it was just pretty much just these three characters and how they interact. And you can just flesh out their characteristics. But I think it was pretty easy for her to pick Thomas Sharp over Charlie Hunnam because he's just so fucking boring, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, once you get to the mansion, which is the best visual aspect of the whole thing, it just feels so real. Um, and the red dirt slash mud slash blood. Really cool stuff. Uh, yeah, I was I was rewatching this on on Blu-ray last night, and and I finished it off a couple hours before we started this recording. And I really, I mean, I appreciated the set design the first time I watched the movie, but maybe the rewatch helped me appreciate it even more. There are some shots in this movie that you just don't really see anymore. These beautiful, grand wide shots with real actors in a real massive set that's intricately decorated, intricately lit, uh, to say nothing of the fact that they have that bloody hole in their ceiling, so, you know, leaves or snow keeps tumbling down and whirling in the wind. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's a bonkers set, and it's extremely well lit, and 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 it's not to say that other movies don't have big sets. I mean, we just talked about Spectre, and there, there are very big sets in in that film as well. Uh, and and I love those sets. But I think when you have a Del Toro film, whether it's Kronos, whether it's Pan's Labyrinth, whether it's The Hellboys, whether it's Blade Two, uh, Pacific Rim, uh, or or Crimson Peak, uh, there's really uh, there's a there's a level of artistry that you get with a Del Toro set that you just can't get with anybody else, and uh, I was just amazed by what I was watching uh, both times I saw the movie. Yeah, it really makes you wonder why there was so CGI heavy on um, what's the movie he just did that you just mentioned? Oh, uh, Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim. Yeah. Because yeah, it's so good true. with practical effects that it's it's a shame that was such a CGI fest. Well, I mean, what do you do with Pacific Rim? It's going to be CGI. It's going to be actors in costumes or what stop motion? Like what? Yeah, true. And I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to like through you know uh, refute your your argument, but I'm not sure what else they would have done like in in the modern day. No, you're absolutely right. But, I don't know, maybe he just wasn't the right fit for that movie in the first place. Mm, maybe. You like that movie? Um, it's fine, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I think it's my least, along with the bug movie, it's my least <laughs> the favorite. Bug movie. What the hell is this? <laughs> Mimic. 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 Yeah, that's right. It's called, yeah. There you go. Those are my least favorite Del Toros. Yeah. Uh, any negatives, Joel? For this movie? Um, I kind of wish Charlie Hunnam's character was in it a little more. Oh, I kind of wish he was in it a little less. Well, in the sense that 
I guess they do imply that they've known each other and stuff, but he's so in it so little. I kind of the whole thing with him coming back, we'll say. Yeah, I think I think I know I didn't what you mean. Exactly like, understand the importance. Either cut him out of the movie after they leave, or have him like have more of a role into it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, he's terrible. But. <laughs> I can't stand that, that actor. I don't know him personally, but just everything I've seen him in. I actually, I like Sons of Anarchy, so I kind of like, I guess, like him more. I've never seen it, but I probably no. shouldn't. It's probably not your type of show. <laughs> for, That's a biker show, right? Yeah. All right. Was there any negatives for you? It's better than you. Oh, Oh no! Yeah, I think Joe. I think you were about to say something. No, I was commenting on Sons of Anarchy, kind of uh-huh. better than you would think it is with a TV show. Anyway. Well, well, maybe we'll give it a fair shake uh, one of these days. Uh, I guess with respect to criticism for Crimson Peak, maybe a minor criticism, although it didn't seem as oddly enough, it didn't seem as glaring the second time I watched it. But for a film that's so beautiful for its practical effects and its set design. Uh, I was a little disappointed that the ghosts were uh, predominantly CG creations. Although, funnily enough, as I rewatched the movie on Blu-ray, I thought they suddenly looked a little bit more convincing. I think they... They're CG, but it's the sort of CG... I find... uh, I, I don't even know what the hell I'm saying. I feel like they try to make them look real. I don't know what that even supposed to mean. It is CG, but it didn't look super duper fake. Uh, but I think it would have been cool if they had maybe given it a. Sh- maybe they did. I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't read on the production of this movie, but I think it would have been cool if they had at least tried to take a shot at uh, some old school ghost effects. Uh, maybe a bit more practicality involved. So maybe minor complaint, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, they didn't look bad, the ghosts, but they do kind of clash a little bit with everything else going on. Mm, uh, I kind of agree, especially with um, them using, I don't know what you call them, I guess the equivalent of photographs that are on glass. Could have yeah. done something with that, that, with the ghosts. but Yeah, that's true. They, they never bring that back. Yeah, it's kind of a point, when you think about it, it's kind of a pointless scene. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, since Mia has the or Edith has the sixth sense, you think maybe they could go more of the sixth sense route with the practical ghost. But I didn't like the the way the movie opened, actually, where it starts off at the end and there's kind of a, um, a narration and then it goes back to the beginning. I could have done without that. And honestly, what, what I didn't... What do they call that technique? What's that? Isn't there a name for that technique where you like start in the middle or something? In media res? Maybe, I don't know. Something yeah, I'm not like a huge that. fan of that either. And I didn't really buy that he really loved her for some reason. That yeah. caught me off yeah, guard. Thomas Sharp? Yeah. Interesting. To me, so. And maybe I'd have to watch it again, but I thought he was... I don't know. I I'd, I'd thought that was a little quick to get there. I didn't quite hmm. see it, but you guys both seem to think that it earned it, so I'm probably wrong there. Yeah, I kind of got the vibe from pretty early on 
that that was going to be the case. But, I mean, that's just me. Yeah, maybe it's just me because I love Jessica Chastain so much. How could anyone uh, <laughs> go the other way? But Right, well, I see what you mean there. But in this case, given that they're brother and sister, it's maybe, <laughs> yeah. it might be the exception to the rule. I'm not sure they should have been doing that stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it's a little bit weird there in the final act. Yeah, definitely does. And it goes a little action-heavy in the third act, which I was really just enjoying the methodical pace that was going on before that. But again, it wasn't bad. And it kind of seemed like an ode to The Shining a little bit with the running around out in the open. But yeah, good movie. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to watch this movie again. It's just something Actually, that... uh want to go back and watch Solace again, like, right after we're done talking. <laughs> watch what? Uh, Quantum... Or, wow. Jeez. Maybe you were right. Maybe it was confusing, the whole Quantum and... Uh, <laughs> oh, Spectre? Spectre thing. I don't say Quantum is Solace, but no, I want to watch Spectre again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Good man, good man. I'm liking you more and more, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> I try. Yeah, it's just a good atmosphere to the to the movie. Crimson Peak, I will give a light 7.5 out of 10. How about you guys? I'd give a, uh, a later end of an 8. Nice. Really like that movie. Um, I'm, I'm going 9, guys. This is... Uh, yeah, 9. This is... Uh, I frankly, I'm. I feel sorry. I didn't see this in theaters. I, I regret it. Uh, yeah, this is a great movie. I'm. I'm in love with it. Yeah, I think uh, it's on my two buy list. Awesome. Well, good stuff. Did uh, you watch anything else this week, Joe? I watched the. Uh, even though I haven't seen the first season, I watched like the first two or three episodes of the new Daredevil. And I have just begun to rewatch season five of Game of Thrones to prepare for the new one. All right. Well, what did you think of Daredevil? Peeking in uh, halfway through the the go there. You going to go back um, and watch it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, very cool. I like how they do the all the action scenes. It's not really as cheesy as I thought it would be. But uh, the real reason I've always liked the Punisher even though I wasn't a huge comic book guy so I really wanted to what's that actor's name I really liked he was in uh, Walking Dead John Bernthal yeah and I thought he was a good choice so I went to check out what all the talk was about I guess is he good as the Punisher I like him a lot nice cool I've always had a little thing for the Punisher too have you seen any Daredevil Edgar uh, I think I saw the first episode of the first season, which I liked a lot. It's just, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm notoriously lazy when it comes to TV, but I did like what I saw, and I checked out the trailer for season two. And uh, yeah, man, I got to get on that, man. It looks like a great, great show. Yeah, it really is. I think you would like it, especially you're into the martial arts stuff, right? Yeah, there's can. some really awesome action fight scenes going on through this whole show probably the best feature and nice. yeah i've been watching season two as well i'm up to episode 10 i'm about to start and yeah i'm loving it i think it started off a little slow actually i think 
after season one, which was so strong with the Kingpin as the anchored as the main villain, I think they were kind of missing his presence early on, even with the Punisher there, who who was great and all, but there was just seemed to be a void. And about three or four episodes in, it really starts to pick up again. And I think at where I'm at now is probably as good as the show's ever been. They bring in Elektra and everything else going on. Oh, with really? It. Yeah, it it really blends everything together really well. Can I ask and, a question? Yeah, please. Uh, the the Netflix Marvel shows, where well, there's Daredevil, there's Jessica Jones, and there's the other one coming up. Um, Luke Cage. Are these yes. right? 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 Are these their own thing, or is this also tied into the Iron Mans and the Thors and? I think it's a little bit of both. Like technically, it takes place in the same universe. It takes place really? in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but wow, they only yeah. But at the same time, they're more their own thing in their own little corner where they'll make little nods to what's going on outside uh-huh. of it. But for okay. the most part, they're. they're Punisher their won't be showing up in Avengers three anytime soon. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would be kind of cool. Man, the robots away in sky high. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Daredevil show up at some point in the in the movies. But cool. I guess we'll have to see. What have you been watching, Ed? Um, I've been watching a few older. Uh, sorry, Joel horror movies. <laughs> uh, no, I, I review some Blu-rays for Pop Optic from a from a specific company they 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 send them to me and uh they they this company specializes in uh actually they do release new stuff sometimes but a lot of stuff from the 70s 80s and 90s and uh, the last week i watched a movie called uh, disturbing behavior with uh, a very young katie holmes hmm. uh, not too young i'm mean, still young <laughs> uh, katie holmes uh, James Marsden, who was Cyclops in the X-Men movie, and Nick Stahl, who sort of disappeared off the face of the planet. Didn't he um, die? Is he dead? I think he might be dead. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Jeez. I'm sorry to the Stahl. I'm very... I apologize to the Stahl estate if they're, if they're listening to this. But he's I'm, actually really good in the movie. I'll be really sorry if I'm wrong about that, but... Uh, I'm pretty but, sure uh, Yeah. I didn't love the movie. It's certainly a relic of the '90s. Everything from the music, just to the just the general editing style and scenes that are supposed to be scary. It's basically new kid played by James Mars then moves to a small town in wherever USA. His brother passed was uh, died not too long ago. He's trying to fit in. Not easy. Makes friends with Katie Holmes and Nick Stahl. But it turns out that at this high school, some of the kids are being brainwashed. Uh, into becoming the perfect adolescence. Uh, so being perfect is not all it's cracked up to be in this town. And, you know, they, they have to foil that plot. It's pretty average, to have to be honest. Nick Stahl's great. Uh, bless his heart. Rest in peace. Uh, uh, I don't think he's dead, actually. <laughs> well, uh, you know, keep on trucking. <laughs> uh, wherever you are. He's you. had a lot of issues, is what I'm reading now. But Jesus, right. I, yeah. He's really good. Uh, Katie Holmes looks amazing. Uh, she's really hot, and uh, but yeah, it's not very really scary. Joe, this is probably you'd probably love this horror movie. It's not the least bit scary, 
and uh, it's just too predictable. It's it's average. I wasn't a huge fan, but you know, I got it for free, so I had to churn out like a fifteen hundred word article, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, fun times. Anything else? Uh, uh, me or Joel? Yeah, I think uh, we're out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, the other one I watched was uh, Cherry Falls, which is from 2000, I think. I haven't written this review yet, so I guess it's a Red Bucks exclusive. Um, <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, Cherry Falls stars... Uh, actually, man, that's what a weird uh, twist of fate. Stars Brittany Murphy, who did uh, pass away yeah, not too long ago. that's a fact. Uh <laughs> And, uh, yeah, this, this conversation just took a weird turn. <laughs> and um, she plays a high schooler, kind of like in Disturbing Behavior. And, uh, Michael Bean is her father, the sheriff, which is kind of cool. And basically there's a serial, serial killer uh, who's going around stalking the adolescents of this town. I don't remember where it takes place. And but unlike in most movies, uh, in most slasher films, when uh, if you have sex, well, you're obviously going to die next. Uh, this serial serial killer is killing the virgins, hence the title, I guess, Cherry Falls. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Zing. <laughs> uh, so this it's actually a pretty clever twist. I think you know if you look at the direction, it, it's kind of pedestrian. It's, there's nothing special about the way the movie looks or anything like that. But the script is actually kind of strong. And Brittany Murphy, man, it's kind of a shame that she left us so soon because that, that, that woman had a lot of charm. She's very witty, very, very personable. I, I liked her a lot in the movie. And Michael Bean is, you know, pretty awesome as usual. So if ever you get a chance, if you're staring at disturbing behavior or Cherry Falls in the face, uh, I'd go Cherry Falls. All right. Interesting. Might have to check that out. You're going to check out a horror movie. Well, I'll be interested to hear what you thought. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> oh, there's a great orgy scene near the end, too. Yeah, I'm going to check it out as well. Um, <laughs> no. uh, yeah, that's that's about all we have. We don't really have any news or trailers to talk about this week. A little slow, I guess, leading up to the Batman vs. Superman release, which I guess we could talk about. comes out this weekend. Dawn yeah. of Justice. What are... What are we thinking? Are we going to going to see this out in theaters? Uh, personally, I'm not. No, neither am I, and I'm a Batman fan. Yeah, it's got a 33 percent right now on Rotten Tomatoes, like a 40 some on Metacritic. Haven't heard many good things. I'm still interested in the movie, but the marketing leading up to it hasn't really intrigued me all that much. And as a comic guy. It's Batman and Superman yeah. should be a draw, but well, it's just so like there is a book. I even I I have it somewhere at, at, at my place. There is a there is a book about Batman fighting Superman, but it, it's a one off. You know, it's just it's more of an artistic endeavor than anything else. Right. Uh, there's a few political statements shared in that in that book as well. But as a as a film, like as an as an event, like why is Batman fighting Superman? How stupid is that? I don't I don't get it. And then you yeah. have the Marvel Universe fighting each other in Civil War later this year. <laughs> Oddly enough, that one doesn't look too bad, though, which is so hypocritical of me to say. Like, I, I wouldn't mind checking out Civil War, but I'm going to skip Batman and Superman. What's, the, like, same diff? But I don't know. Maybe they're just selling the other one better. I don't yeah, know. true. Yeah, it is. 
Interesting, for sure. I, I personally just think Superman isn't the draw anymore. Like, there are some people that are obsessed with Superman, don't get me wrong, but I think him as a character is just outdated. I've I'd never be more been interested, a big fan. You know, standalone Batman movie. Yeah. Or even Justice League, I guess, if they can get them all together. Any predictions yeah. on box office for this weekend? I mean, Deadpool just had, what, $135 million? Is it going to do better than that? Oh, probably not. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I, the running length on that thing is completely insane. That it's, might uh, yeah, hurt it a little two bit. Two hours, 40 minutes or something. Which is ridiculous. But uh, that might, that might uh, put a little wrinkle. Uh, I, I don't know. How much did you say Deadpool made? I think it was 130 or $135 million opening weekend. Broke all um, kinds of records. I'm going to go over, actually. I'm going to go over. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah, like... I think under. I'm thinking 120-ish, 125, slightly under. I don't mm. know. I'll go like one. I'll go 140. Wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it is two biggest names in comic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just feel like people in that like week leading up to Deadpool coming out, it became like a cultural thing almost. Like people were going to go out and see the Deadpool movie. But. Oh yeah, but did you, I mean, have you, did you see those posters and those TV spots? It was insane. Oh yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was it was a Valentine's Day movie. It was literally advertised as a Valentine's Day <laughs> movie as a joke, yeah. but it was advertised. I that was. Man, I wasn't a big fan of the movie, but shit, that was smart marketing. That was good. The marketing was amazing. Marketing was good. And I haven't seen it, but they took over Teen Mom for one episode, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> and with uh, Batman vs. Superman, I feel like all their marketing was when they announced it. Like, people were excited at first when they announced the movie, and then it's kind of fizzled. Yeah, maybe it's... Really, man, I... Uh, I have the opposite impression. I, I, I can't turn left or right without seeing a trailer, a TV spot, or a poster. Maybe it's just me where I'm at right now, but there doesn't seem to be that sense of, I don't know, palpable buzz in the air for the movie that like I thought there would be. Like just see it. Yeah, and maybe it's just me, but... Yeah, I mean, you like, do very selectively choose what you consume these days just kind of felt it in the air for like Star Wars or even Deadpool a little bit I don't know but oh yeah no this is not Star Wars yeah. Star Wars you said it yourself there was something in the air there was something special happening yeah and I kind of feel like that's what it's going to be for Civil War in May but time will tell also coming out this weekend My Big Fat Greek Wedding Part 2 which currently has a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh, jeez, Louise. Any interest in this? Did we see the first movie? I just saw it for the first time not too long ago, and it was not good. <laughs> I, I remember it being like a big thing when it first the first one came out, but mm. I never saw it myself. Uh, neither have I. Yeah. I've been to a Greek wedding. That's probably more fun than this movie will be. Uh, and lastly, Tom. Speaking of Tom Hiddleston, he has a movie coming up. The uh, shoot, what's the country singer biopic? I saw the light. Let me look up the name of that person. It's at twenty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Not looking good. 
as far as... A lot of good movies coming <laughs> Yeah, review-wise. Yeah, we, yeah, we sent somebody to a festival or something like that. Or I don't remember which yeah, one. Yeah, it hit the festival was. circuit last year. The, the review was positive. I guess that's one of the one percent of the twenty six <laughs> that gave it a positive review. Yeah, it's Hank Williams uh, biopic, who I know oh. our grandma Joel was a big fan of. So, yeah, I might check yeah, it I out mean, on, on Redbox, but yeah, not rushing out to theaters to see. Very uh, yeah, it's a Redbox slash Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the movie I'm really waiting to see it expand a little more is Midnight Special Jeff Nichols movie I keep hearing so much good stuff about it can't wait to check it out well that's about that for us today coming up in the following weeks I think we're going to have some individual reviews for some movies coming out on Redbox that may or may not include Steve Jobs The Big Short uh, Spotlight the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2, The Hateful Eight, and Creed. So stay tuned oh, for that. And I can't wait to hear your Hateful Eight review. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking that out. Yeah, but, I uh, forgot. <laughs> what's that? I forgot that you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. I'm looking forward to it. No doubt about it. You can catch us on Twitter at The Red Box Report. I'm personally on Twitter at The Oriole Report. Joel? I'm on Twitter at oh man, what's my new one? Uh, Redbox Red reporter. Redbox reporter. The Redbox reporter. <laughs> and uh, Edgar, you are on Twitter at uh, at uh, double O pops, and that's double underscore O H underscore P O P. Yes, that's definitely worth a follow. There, you can subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook. Email us the Redbox Report at yahoo.com and on Letterboxd, I'm at the Oriole Report. And, and as always, thanks for listening. See you later. I've been here before, but always hit the floor. I've spent a lifetime running. And I always get away But with you I'm feeling something That makes me want to stay I'm prepared for this I never shoot to miss But I feel like a storm is coming I'm gonna make it through the day And there's no more use in running This is something I gotta face I'm